Welcome, freaks and shrieks, to another episode of the Castle of Spirits True Ghost Stories podcast. Brought to you by castleofspirits.com, where you can read 4,600 plus true ghost and paranormal stories submitted by readers and listeners very much like yourselves. Very much so. Mm -hmm. I am the Ghost Keeper Jane. And I'm the Ghost Keeper Vince. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Because after all, once you're a spirit, it goes on forever. Wow. Don't forget to follow us also on social. We're on Facebook and Instagram Mm -hmm. at Castle of Spirits. Mm -hmm. Join us there. That's right. Ooh, and if you have a cool story to tell, share it with us. Call us at 801 436-7838, and we will play your message on the air. So, uh, Vince. Yes. What should we talk about today on this fine, snowy, snowy day? I'm thinking ghosts. Yeah, I was kind of feeling like I'd like to talk about some ghosts today, too. Do you have a ghost story to share with us? I'm sure I could find one. Real quick. Yeah. So I'll just head over to castlespirits.com and hit our archive. And let's see. Spin that wheel of fortune and find out what comes up. We've got stories here dating back to 1997. Uh, Yes. But this story that I'm going to read is from April of 2007. Whoa. It's called Crouching There, and it was submitted by Anonymous in USA. Creepy. I don't frighten easily, and I'm not in the habit of fending off fear. True that I have had some experiences in life that leave their scars, but it is because of these experiences that I am able to keep my calm now, for those past experiences were terrible enough to desensitize me to anything else. I do have rare occasions when controlling rising fear is difficult, and I had one of these rare occasions just three nights ago. I moved into a small house in a very quiet town, just two miles away from my last home. The previous house had its frightening moments for me. Uncomfortable feelings, voices in an empty house, all things associated with the word haunted. But I took them and moved on, feeling that leaving the house would leave the spirits with it. This was not the case. In fact, I'm surprised at myself for being as hopeful as I am. Every house I've ever lived in has had a problem that I seem to meet at some time or other. But later. It was early morning. I know this because I hadn't turned out my lights until 12.30, and I was woken by a familiar feeling. Turn over. I was snapped into action and obeyed the command instantly, for I've learned the penalty of slow reflexes. I suspected that the feeling would soon leave, and I could sleep, but it persisted. I could almost feel it tugging at the right side of my bed, where my back was exposed. I tried hard to fall asleep again, despite the nagging. But as it kept getting stronger, I started to get anxious. Why wasn't it leaving? Is it watching me? Fear started to creep in. And with it, my endless curiosity, which is my constant undoing. I began building up my courage, counting shallow breath after breath, until I finally turned my head, then shoulders, then legs, until I was on my back, looking at the doorway, 
where the nagging now came from. My door is in a small corner of the room, making a short hallway into the larger part, and as I lay looking up and down the doorframe, over the right side of the room, and eventually in the vanity mirror, it moved. I felt more than saw it rush upon me at first. I knew it was there by the door, and that it was small, and the short instance I had to react was used to flip myself over as fast as I could. My heart was beating so loud I thought it could hear it, and I started calming myself down quickly so that I wouldn't provoke it. I figured it would go now that it had been seen. One of my theories on ghosts is that they want you to know they are there, whether they be peaceful or angry. They demand some acknowledgement. I laid there several minutes waiting for it to pass, but it remained. I couldn't calm my breathing. I had broken out into a cold sweat and the nagging was growing unbearable. My hands and legs were beginning to complain from their locked positions. My neck and ears began to tingle as they do when one is horribly sick. And as I lay near tears, I decided to look again and get it over with. I again gathered some courage. Very difficult to do when all energy is being wasted on fear and rolled myself over very slowly. I stared directly at the door's left side, and there it was, crouching in the corner. My breath caught in my chest, and I sat frozen as I stared. I had a slightly better view now, though not a clear one, and I could see that it was squatting with its legs up to its chest, arms out in front, keeping its balance. I don't remember any head. It just crouched there as I acknowledged it, and then it ran again. You recall that I said I knew it was small, but it wasn't small. It simply ran along the ground as it came. It didn't straighten up and run. It stayed in its crouched position and ran, back hunched, knees rising to the chest with every footfall, and arms swinging as it came. I can't tell you what the face looked like, whether the hair was short, long, or balding, but the eyes were large, and the mouth was a widespread smile. It wasn't grinning or sneering, just a smile under two large, wide eyes. The outline of the head itself was undeterminable. You could say that the two pieces were floating at the top of their own accord with no attachment to the body. I sucked in breath as it rushed to the side of my bed, almost close enough to reach out and touch my face. Then I sat up and switched on my bedside lamp. And as suddenly as the feeling came, it was gone with the light. When I later retold this story to a cousin of mine, she reminded me of my past experiences, where the eyes are always the most vibrant expression in the spirits I encounter. And she gave me an interesting idea, that it follows me. I now consider all my experiences to be of the same soul in different rooms of my life. I am now deciding whether to be worried about the spirit 
or be comforted by its continual presence. Facts are on both sides of the argument. The eyes are never glaring or hateful, but it is always accompanied with a menacing feeling. I'm currently researching these types of encounters. Wish me luck. Thank you again to Anonymous in USA for submitting Crouching There in April of 2007. And I have to say, Anonymous in USA, you've had, uh, what, 17 years now to do some research. We would like an update, you know, if you're so inclined. Yeah, that was, um, that freaked me out. I know. It was, yeah, it was pretty freaky. Uh, anything that crouches and runs at you. Yes. With pumping their pumping its mm-hmm. arms and, and legs. Oh. And I think that horror movies these days are getting it all wrong. You know, it's like the monster is big. The monster, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the as the movie goes on, right? But what about the small scuttling monsters? Yeah. What at the end of the hall? Why does it have to be a super tall thing with its head brushing the ceiling? Why can't it be? crouching in the corner everything small yeah everything's like big Mm -hmm. you know the bigger bigger the better big Mm -hmm. explosions uh big monsters yeah when really what you really should be scared of are things that can hide Mm -hmm. in corners Mm -hmm. you walk right by and it's there and you don't see it Mm -hmm. hide under your bed yep speaking of hiding under the bed remember that story you read last week where you said that the um the person telling the story, their father had woken up under his bed. Right. That still is freaking me out. I keep thinking about that. Like, what would I do if I woke up and I was under my bed? I'd probably see some sort of a sleep therapy clinic. Is that what they're called? I don't know, but I'd probably see a psychiatrist. I'd be like, I must have just had a, a psychotic episode. A fugue state of some kind. And what's interesting about that story that you just read is that it's completely changed what I'm going to read oh, really? today, at least one of the stories, because when we were preparing for this, yeah. I was reading some stories, I, you know, doing mm-hmm. my research, and I came across a story that now I want to read it. Okay. Because it seems to fit the unintentional theme. Mm-hmm. It's a story that was written and submitted to the site in March of 2002, anonymous. From the USA. Oh, I wonder if it's the same anonymous from I USA. Wonder. This one's called Little Man. And I can just I can just see Christopher I can just hear Christopher Walken saying Little Man. <laughs> Little Man. From Pulp Fiction. Anyway, <laughs> but let's get down to it. This happened to me when I was a little girl, around three or four years old. It was told to me by my parents, for I don't remember what happened to me at that time in my life. My parents and grandparents like to go camping every summer. Other people would be camping too, and everyone knew everybody. It was like a family reunion. The camping spot was a fun place to go. There were a lot of activities during the day, swimming, horseback riding, hiking, sack races, etc. And there were always dances at the end of the night. Well, anyway, my mom was cooking supper for us, and she spread a blanket on the ground for me to play on, underneath a tree. She kept an eye on me, and noticed for some strange reason that I kept staring up into the tree and laughing hysterically. Mom became concerned and asked what I was laughing at. She walked over to where I was and looked up into the tree and saw nothing. Yet there I was, pointing and laughing very hard. Finally, Mom picked me up and said, What in the world are you laughing at? I said to my mom, Look, 
There's a little man jumping in the tree. He's like a monkey. Mom asked me what he looked like, and I told her he had on green clothes and a green hat, and he would make funny faces and jump around in the tree. Well, my mom, dad, and grandparents, being the superstitious people that they are, took down our tent, loaded up our stuff in the truck, and moved on home. (laughs) Around where I live, some people believe in the little people. Sometimes they can bring good luck, and sometimes bad luck. Now I'm a 50-year-old woman with grandchildren, and I wonder if I'll ever see that little man again. I think I would just be amazed and curious, because I saw him before. Who knows if I will ever see him again. And that was uh, Little Man from Anonymous in the USA, March of 2002. Kind of a freaky story. It kind of fit in with what you were sharing there. Yeah, for sure. But definitely a a distinctly different experience. This seems Mm -hmm. like, I mean, you can say it was a monkey, but you, you don't, I don't think there's very many places in the United States where monkeys are roaming free. And and, wearing green suits. Right. But it does remind me of the story, Murders in the Room Org. Oh, yeah. There were a series of murders that were committed, and it was impossible that the person could have committed these crimes unless they had the uncanny ability to like climb out of windows, like jump great heights. Mm -hmm. And so the detective protagonist in this Edgar Allan Poe story said, well, the only thing that can do this is like an ape of some sort. Mm -hmm. And then they said, well, let's look around and see if there are any people around here who own simians, some sort of monkey that might've gotten loose. And And spoiler alert. that They discovered that there was a circus in town and every night this thing, this ape. It was a gorilla, wasn't it? A gorilla, yes. Would exit its confines and go wreak havoc on the town mm-hmm. and i wonder if this is could have been a similar case you know if you if you saw an alligator an alligator an alligator an alligator in the sewer <laughs> would you think that it was alligator uh, in the sewer right thank you drew <laughs> would you think that there was something paranormal going on or would you think that maybe somebody let their pet alligator loose well remember that time during the pandemic that you were convinced that we had a tiger king person living in our neighborhood. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the unknown fecal deposits in the backyard that yeah. turned out to be raccoon. Yeah. But Vince was pretty convinced it was, it was a, a he kept calling it a Tiger King. It's a Tiger King. I know it. <laughs> well I was that was yeah, right. Everybody in the country was watching Tiger King. Yeah. And I thought, it's isn't it is it possible that somebody may have said, I'm gonna be like the Tiger King, I wanna buy a tiger, and then said, Oh, the hell with this and turned it loose. Go poop in their backyard. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh yeah, but those it's interesting that you mentioned Edgar Allan Poe because I was gonna say that my story, I felt like the vibe of the writing was a little like a modern Poe-esque Poe type. Right. Type writing. Wow, we're we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe a lot in this episode. I wonder what that could mean. I don't know. Um, should I read another story or I'd really like that okay. actually. Because I'm over here, I'm 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 not scared anymore and I want you to scare me some more. Well, I mean I could scare you. Well, I mean, you know, we don't want not really any, gonna take a story for we don't that. want any medical you know, emergencies or anything. We just want a good old fashioned spooky chill. All please. Right. Well, here we go with a voice in the hall too. Submitted in May 2004 by the ever-prolific Anonymous. 
Can in I ask USA. A, may I, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but may I ask a question? Of course. Do you have to have seen part one? No. To this enjoy is not part, part two. two. It just means there's already a story on the website called Voice in the Hall. Ah. Yeah. Lots of voices in the hall in this castle. Yes. I am a nurse. I worked the night shift in a small hospital in a suburb of a larger city in the southwest. To set the stage, I will tell you that the hospital itself was closing, so we had very few patients on the ward. There was one other nurse there with me, Greg, and our nurse techs, Vicky and Faith. Now, Greg was a very rational person. He had gone to the galley to get some coffee. After a while, he returned to the nurse station where I was charting. Greg had this wide-eyed expression on his face. Then he asked me if I had heard that. I asked him, Heard what? Greg said that he was in the galley, heading into the lobby, returning to the desk, and he heard a young woman say, Excuse me, sir. Can you help me? I asked Greg if he was joking, because I am pretty gullible, and I wouldn't put it past him. He said no, then asked me where Vicky and Faith were. I told him they were on their break and probably out smoking. I assured him that the patients had not made a peep, and it certainly wasn't me, as I had not moved. I really kind of blew this thing off, thinking Greg was trying to spook me, and then rattle my nerves for a couple of weeks, and then fess up when I was on the verge of a breakdown. But that didn't happen. Greg never mentioned it again after that instance. He asked Faith and Vicky if they had been in the lobby on their return to the ward. They both looked at him like he was crazy. He didn't go into why, other than he thought he heard something. About two weeks later, I was working the night shift with Faith. We had one patient on a 25-bed ward. Faith went on a break about 3 a.m. I decided to reheat leftovers and have a break. I went to the galley where the microwave was and proceeded to heat my food and obtain ice. After heating my food, I turned the corner out of the galley, returning to the nurse station. That's when I heard it. Miss? Excuse me, miss. Can you help me? I stopped dead in my tracks. At first, I thought I was imagining things. I turned around and the lobby was empty. The only light was from the hall light coming off the ward. I shook my head thinking I was crazy, but I had this underlying sense of sorrow and felt like someone was crying. Not being rational at this moment, I simply said in my mind, you are not supposed to talk to me. You are dead. I can't help you. Find the light and go to heaven. I guess I watch too much TV. For those who were thinking Faith was behind this, she is from Nigeria with a very thick accent. This lady spoke English like any other American-raised Midwestern person. I don't know what happened to that spirit. I never worked the night shift again. Not because I was afraid, but because I was switched to days due to staffing issues. 
One month later, the hospital closed. I understand later another hospital in the area bought the building and turned it into a psych hospital. That should be interesting. Thank you again to Anonymous in USA for submitting Voice in the Hall 2 in May of 2004. Vince, you know I love me a good haunted hospital story. And a classically frightening story that doesn't... She didn't even see anything. It's just a voice. Mm -hmm. And what is more frightening than a disembodied voice? Not much. And more concerning than that disembodied voice being something asking for help. Mm-hmm. That's, it's got a, an air of sadness to it that is equivalent to the chill factor of that story. And hospitals yeah. are, are just- Hospitals are creepy. 3 a.m. hospitals are the creepiest. And 3 a.m. hospitals that are on the verge of closing and have disembodied voices are, I mean, just the epitome of the word creepy. So now I have to ask you, have you ever heard anything like that ha- with your ears? I know that you did some ghost hunting back in the day, mm-hmm. EVP, but did you ever hear anything like a voice or thought you heard something? So I can't say that I've ever heard a voice with my naked ears. I've heard definitely voices in EVPs, um, some really good ones, but I did hear something one time. And I've alluded to this story before, you know, saying, oh, I'll tell this story when the time is right. But I guess this is probably the best time for it. But what I heard was not a voice. But so it was in the 90s. It was right after I started uh, going ghost hunting with this couple. And uh, we went to this old, it's just called in the area, the Indian school. Because in after World War II, sometime, it was converted into a boarding school type place for Native American children. Was it previously a hospital? It was before that. It was a military hospital, apparently, um, during World War II. So these buildings, they're just to kind of set the stage, all of the buildings, they're very, very long and narrow. So if you're inside... It's just like a hallway from one end to the other of this massive building and rooms on each side. There's no corners. There's no, you know, it's just a long straight shot with rooms on either side. Like classrooms? Uh, It depended on the building. Some of them were classrooms. Some of them were dormitories. But there were a couple dozen of these buildings. And they were, I believe, two stories in a basement. It could have been three stories in a basement, but... At this time, when we went there, all of the buildings were under renovation. Um, Some of them were being torn down. It had been empty since the 70s or something. And in fact, one of the people that I was with, her mother had gone to that school or lived there or or whatever the situation was. She was um, Navajo. So, oh, and she would tell her stories, creepy stories about things that had happened at at that place when she lived there. So all of these buildings, most of them are empty, like they're gutted inside. There's really nothing but like the floor. (laughs) And in some buildings, the word floor was pretty generous. I remember looking down on the top floor and being able to see all the way to the basement through part of the floor. 
but there were no walls. There were no doors. It was just like support beams. So if you were in the building, you could see from one end to the other. So this particular building, like I said, it had no walls. It had no doors. It didn't even have windows. It was just being gutted. It was one of our first time out. It was me and the girl that I was with and then her boyfriend. And we go and we're at the the door in the middle of the building. So there's a doorway at each end and a door in the middle. And so we're just standing there in the doorway and we're all scared. It's kind of windy outside and uh, there's lights in the parking lot, but otherwise it's pretty dark. So she and I are standing at the doorway while her boyfriend goes in to look around. And we're standing there. I've got my little tape recorder going and I wish that I could find this tape. Someday I'm going to find this tape. So we're standing there. He goes in and pretty soon we hear footsteps above us on the floor upstairs. And I said to her, Jenny, I hear footsteps. I think he's upstairs. And she was not happy about that. This is her boyfriend. There's holes in the floor. So she starts yelling at him to come down. And after a minute or so, there's no response from him. The footsteps stop. I turn and I look down at the end of this long, long building. There's a street light and I see somebody walking around the side of the building toward us. And people are not supposed to be in these buildings. They would get busted constantly. The police were not playing around if they caught you there. So we're freaked out. I said, oh, look, there's somebody coming. There's somebody coming. But we couldn't get back in the car because her boyfriend had the keys in his pocket. So we're just kind of standing there while this figure walks toward us. And it turns out it was him. So we jump in the car. We drive away. We're all freaked out. So we tell him, hey, we heard you walking around upstairs. And he said, no, I never went upstairs. He said, I went into the building and there was a ladder that went down. Like, I guess it went through the floor in one of the holes in the floor. So he said, I went down to see if I could get into the basement. But the ladder actually like went out a window. And so it put him outside on the other side of the building from us. So the entire time she and I are standing there listening to these footsteps, he's outside walking around this long building to get back to us. And he said, you know, I never I never went upstairs. So then we're freaked out because we heard these footsteps. So we listened to the tape and on the tape, you could not hear footsteps. There were no footsteps on the tape, but you hear us talking about them. But what we did hear was um, it sounded like a man's voice mumbling that was getting closer to us, you know, like as if he's walking past us. So it's kind of building. You hear it clearly and then it fades off again. And it almost sounded like he said something about get out of my house or or something like that. But just as he says that, we hear a door slam. And that was that was it. The voice cut off. But there were, like I said, there were no doors in that building. And had we heard a door slam, we would have, it. yeah, it, it would have been messy. <laughs> there would have been running, screaming, and changing of drawers. <laughs> you would have went. We would have went. Oh, and one of the times in, in the uh, recording, when she was yelling at him, to get down from there, you could hear she's yelling at him over and over, get back down here. And he's not responding. So she yells his name again, really loud. And after that, there was this weird kind of like a digital 
I know how this sounds. It sounds so phony, but it really happened. This like digital that almost sounded like something moved between us. And you could say, well, just her voice like was too loud and the recorder screwed up. But this was not a digital recorder. This was the 90s. It was an analog tape recorder. So a weird digital sound like that is not something that would happen. So anyway, that was my little digression. Uh, Vince, do you have another story to read? Actually, I do. But the cool thing is that right now, I want to read an email that we got from one of our listeners. Somebody took the thirst bait. This email comes from Catherine, and she says, First, I love you guys. Oh, we love you too. I had an experience where I'm still pondering if what I saw was real. While driving, I saw a pedestrian cloaked in a brown friar monk outfit with round wire glasses and a homemade wooden walking stick. The scariest part about it was this unnatural and exaggerated grin from ear to ear. Ew, I don't like it. The location was Tucson during a heat index of 104 degrees. That's Fahrenheit. I like that even less. I know, right? Give me the ghosts, keep the heat. Mm-hmm. Now, I know Tucson has its weirdos. <laughs> That's Catherine, not me saying that. <laughs> Poor Tucson. Tucson's all WTF, Catherine. <laughs> but this was beyond weird. There are no monasteries close to the area I was driving through. Are there any tales of seeing a grinning monk? All right, Tucson, you heard it. We want to know. Is this a thing that, that you Tucsonians? Tucsonians. I think, that, I think that's right. Tucsonaritos. Uh, is this a thing that you have seen or have heard about? Let us know. Let Catherine know. Anybody, anywhere, in fact. But I searched the Castle of Spirits library, mm-hmm. and I did find quite a few stories, not a whole lot, but quite a few stories where someone saw a monk. Mm. Monks are creepy in the same way that nuns are creepy. Yeah, we talked about that in the last mm-hmm. episode, too. Mm-hmm. I think it's the, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the outfit, you know? Well, I think it's, for me, it's mostly about being out of context. Like a monk at a monastery doing monk things, not creepy. A nun at a nunnery doing nun things, not creepy. And why do I always think that if, the first thing I think of when doing monk things is slamming yourself in the face with a big book. (laughs) With the board. With a board. There was a board, right? Yeah. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right. Surely that's not what monks do. I don't think that's I don't think that's proper monking. No, it's just Tom Monkery. But I'm bumped. But monks out of context, especially no monk should be grinning ear to ear like that. Walking down the street in 104 degree weather mm-hmm. under monk robes. That's I think you saw a demon, Catherine. Oh God! Mm-hmm. Now now she's not going to be able to sleep. Sorry. Don't just stay away from that part of the state. <laughs> Sorry, Tucson. Again, we apologize. So in my searching for grinning monks, I did not find a grinning monk. Oh, that's but I found a cool story. Nice build up though. Yep. Nice <laughs> build up to the letdown. <laughs> exactly. Let's just say it segues into my next story. Okay. This is called Johnny the Ghost, submitted by Andrew Dexter in Wales ah. in August of 2012. And Andrew says... During the 1960s, my family moved into a large property called Gladstone Villa, which was in the former mining town of Bargoed in the South Wales Valleys. There were my grandparents and their only daughter, who's of course my mother. My mother married in April of 1968, 
and she and my dad stayed with my grandparents at Gladstone Villa. My mother told me that it was soon after I was born in 1969 that strange phenomena started in the attic. One day they heard a noise like someone jumping onto the landing. When they went to look, possibly thinking that someone had broken in, they discovered the hatch to the attic had been moved. It started off quietly, but eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom, which was my grandparents'. As I got older, I too began to experience the activity for myself. We would regularly hear noises, like footsteps, walking around in the bedrooms, mostly in the evenings when we'd all be watching TV. This was downstairs, and one of us would usually turn the TV down to hear it more clearly, and my grandfather would try to work out where the walking was coming from. I still remember him saying, as we heard it, he's by here, and he's by here now. We would go upstairs to the bedroom to investigate. My grandfather would always be in front and me last, but we could find absolutely nothing that could be accounted for. We heard things that simply defied rational explanation, and it got so bad that my mother and grandmother and I would sleep downstairs with the lights on. Only my grandfather would sleep upstairs. My father had already left the property by 1972 after he had his own personal experiences. My parents eventually divorced after a long separation. A family friend who would visit us on most evenings didn't believe it when my grandmother said that the place was haunted. She said it was the vibrations from traffic outside that was causing it, but her belief system was soon challenged when she actually experienced it for herself. One evening, she was there, and she saw the lights go off and on by themselves. She could see clearly it wasn't us doing it. She knew of a local medium, and he came by the property one day. The medium asked a few questions first, and eventually, he began. He challenged the spirit to perform by knocking on the ceiling. Sure enough, the entity knocked back. The medium went into a trance, but he failed to get a name. But later, he confirmed that there was indeed a presence. A priest also came by to bless the property and said prayers, and it was quiet for a few short months, but it returned with a vengeance, and this time it decided to show itself. One evening, my mother, grandfather, and I were watching TV, and my grandmother was reading a book on the sofa. My mother just happened to look at my grandmother, and she saw the apparition of a monk standing behind the sofa. She later told us that it was only there for a couple of seconds and then it was gone. She described it as a monk with typical monk's habit and a hood over the face. The town of Bargode has quite a history, and there's a club directly opposite the property called the RAFA. It's one of the oldest buildings in Bargode and dates back to the 17th century. There was once a monastery there, and it was rumored to have priest holes leading to a well-known haunted manor in a nearby village. My grandmother gave the ghost a nickname. She called him Johnny. We moved from the property in the summer of 1978 after two local businessmen were interested in buying it. It was eventually converted into a hotel in the 1980s, and it's now called Red's Park Hotel. I had my 40th birthday there for old time's sake, and the staff told me of the ghost before I even mentioned it. There have been sightings in room 5, and the staff were afraid to go down to the cellar what I have said here is true. For those who don't believe it, 
I challenge them to stay the night there. And that was from Andrew Dexter in Wales in August 2012, Johnny the Ghost. Johnny the Ghost Monk. And I, for one, would love to stay at the Reds Park Hotel. Yeah. Uh, I just It has a Facebook page, Reds, Reds Park Hotel. Yeah, it looks, it looks pretty cool. I would like to check it out. It's got good reviews on TripAdvisor. Do they allow dogs? Because um, we cannot leave Freya behind well, in the castle by herself. She'll eat the ghosts. Oh, I don't think so. I think the ghosts would eat her. Rude. What did she ever do? She stole their bones. Oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's bad? Oh, shit. Yeah, buried him in the backyard. One thing I didn't get about that story was, what is a priest hole? So priest holes. Were, sounds like an insult. I know. Um, well, you said in the story that it had priest holes that led to other places. Right. Like I, an underground I, I envisioned some sort of an underground tunnel system. Yeah, I didn't realize that priest holes were ever associated with tunnels. From my understanding, a priest hole was a hole in the floor where they could hide a priest because there was a time in England where being Catholic was against the law. You know, it was a Protestant uh, nation. And if if somebody was found to be a priest, they could be arrested, tried, and and probably executed. So they would have priest holes where, oh, the authorities are coming quickly, open the floor, open the hole in the floor, the priest jumps in, you know. Now, did he, did he live in there? No, priests don't typically live in holes in the ground. Okay, no, I was going to say, that would be creepy. They live in the open air like, could normal, you imagine, like though, normal people. Could you imagine if you're like a, a religious family and you've got the priest living under the floorboards and you stub your toe and you're like, God damn it. And then, you know, then you hear. Like a priest in the box, he pops up. I heard that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, sorry, what do I do? Three Hail Marys and you're, and you're forgiven. Okay, so they he was just there temporarily. Yeah, Good. It, was, it was just his little hiding spot. Well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> I wonder, do you think we have uh, priest holes in this castle? Maybe demon holes? Uh, and no. No, no, no. It no, could be no a thing. Those things. That's where they go. When you go around blessing the, the house or blessing the castle mm-hmm. to shoo away the ghosts and the demons, they hide in these little holes. And that way, they just pop right back up. It's like a foxhole <laughs> in battle. Wow. And the metaphor, the metaphor thread just keeps getting longer and longer and, and just and stranger just disintegrates and stranger. Into, into nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? And there's the music yep. saving the day. Alas, we wish to thank everybody for listening to the Castle of Spirits True Ghost Stories podcast. We're going to be back again next week. Yep. And don't forget to submit to us all of your stories, comments, concerns, topic ideas, and anecdotes about anything we have a million ways we that you can contact us you know what they are you can get on our website to find all of them too and you can even call us the phone numbers on the website yes it is and uh, with that i guess we better go it's my turn to feed the ghosts you're it and i'm not i get the i get the good hazmat suit this time though Sure, why not? Okay, thanks. I'm going to be in my little priest slash demon hole here. Stay there until I tell you that it's safe. <laughs> it's not going to be safe for a while. Will do. Oh, hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you like it, mm-hmm. tell a friend. And if you hate it, tell two enemies. And as always, please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts or everywhere else that you listen to podcasts that let you leave reviews. Because every time you do that, a ghost gets its wings. <laughs> <laughs>